So we've taken a break from Exodus. We've been talking about six goals. We talked about consolidating or a more cohesive belief and practice in our church. We talked about raising up leaders, the importance of leadership and the importance of raising up leaders within the church. Today I'm going to cover two things. One goal is to grow our capacity to serve both church and community. And the other is similar to it. It is to seek engagement to affect transformation in our community. To grow our capacity to serve, we need a commitment to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to seek engagement to affect transformation in our community. We need a commitment to engage in a lifestyle, a lifestyle that affects gospel transformation. She wants pawpaw. Sorry, baby. I'll hold you later. So I want to read uh, Ephesians 4 as we talk about these two goals, to grow our capacity to serve and to seek engagement to affect transformation in our community. Ephesians chapter 4. Read along with me. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is the good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In the first verse of the next chapter, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Father, we ask that you would take this word, take your gospel, open our hearts and open our minds, give us hearing ears and eyes to see, and let this word, let this gospel and all of its power change us and transform us. May it conform us to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So here in Ephesians 4, we see the gospel equipping, engaging, and transforming. That's what I want to talk to you about today. The gospel equipping, engaging, and transforming. Paul writes and he says that Jesus gave gifts to the church. And he gave these gifts for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith. We haven't come to that place yet. That means these gifts are still here. They're still operating. The equipping is still taking place. The work of ministry is still to be done. And the body of Christ is like a man that is growing up and becoming complete 
and mature until he finally becomes full-grown, fully displaying the maturity of Christ in all his glory. That is a process. This is what the gospel does. When Paul writes that we are given these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, there is an understanding that the saints are to be equipped with the gospel so that we can go out and engage the world, our community, with the gospel in the power of the gospel. And that equipping and that subsequent engagement will produce transformation. It produces it in our hearts, in our minds, and it is to also overflow from us and produce transformation in our community. That begins in our heart. It begins from there to our families, to our friends, and it goes to the community, or as Jesus said, preach this gospel, be a witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth. So we're talking about growing our capacity to serve. Capacity is the power and ability to do or to experience or to understand something. This is why we come here to be equipped each week. That equipping causes us to grow in our capacity to do the work of ministry. The word ministry simply means service. So we could say it like this, that God gave gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. So there has to be an equip, a commitment to equip the saints for the work of service. And that equipping must lead to an engagement that affects transformation. So there must be a commitment to engage in a lifestyle that affects gospel transformation. A commitment to engage in a lifestyle. You're not here just, I hope you're not here just to do your worship time and get that behind you so you can get on with your week and with your life. I hope this is not just another time that you check off your list of things to do, even if it is at the top or toward the top of your list of things to do. Because what God calls us to is much, much greater than that. That doesn't even begin to give us an understanding of who we are and why we're here. This is not just a time that we check off our list. We're not just here to stay in good graces with God because being here is not going to put you in good graces with God. Because you don't earn God's grace. You don't work for God's grace. The Bible says God's grace is a gift. But when God gives you that gift of grace and he saves you and gives to you eternal life in Jesus Christ, there should be a transformation, a change that takes place in your life. Now you begin to think differently. You begin to see differently. You begin to hear differently. Your heart begins to desire different things. That's called transformation. And the proof of the gospel's power is 
a transformed life. You say, well, how do I know if the gospel has really transformed my life? Has your life been transformed? Do you have different desires now than you did before? Does your life look differently than it did before? Does your talk sound differently than it did before? Does your walk look differently than it did before? That's transformation. There must be a commitment in the body of Christ to equip and to engage. The saints must be equipped within the church, and then the saints must be engaged outside the church. Now, I'm talking in terms of a building, but, but remember, you are the church. So there's an equipping that takes place within you so that there will be a transformation that is ongoing in your life as you are equipped as you are in an ongoing manner being equipped you should be in an ongoing manner being transformed Jesus never told us to go out and make converts he told us to go out and make disciples we were not commanded to go into all the world and make converts. We were commanded to go into all the world and make disciples. Conversion is a momentary experience. Discipleship or transformation is a lifelong process. What we're commanded to do is to come into and engage in a lifelong process not a momentary event or experience. We can't say, well, I was converted. I'm a Christian now. Been there, done that, checked it off my list. Now I'm going to go on and get on with my life. That's not how it works. If that's what you think Christianity is, you need to think differently. You need to repent. You need to change your mind, change your attitude, and change the way you think about what your salvation truly is. Because your salvation is not merely a conversion. Your salvation is about transformation. And this is why we are to be equipped to see and to experience real transformation. Unless we are equipped with the gospel, we are not equipped to do the work of ministry and we will not see transformation. We must equip the saints in the gospel, then we as the saints must engage our community with the gospel. When I say community, I'm not just talking about the city of Taylor or East Williamson County. Your community involves your family. Your community involves your husband, your wife, your children, your closest relatives, your closest friends your enemies, your acquaintances, your co-workers. It, your community is everyone. It is this body of believers we call the church. This is our community. This is our family. And so when we talk about transformation taking place in our community, I don't want you to just think about the city limits of an incorporated area. I want you to think greater than that, deeper than that. Look around you, church. This is your community. 
your equipping in the gospel should affect transformation in the people all around you and the people outside these walls. Preach the gospel and live the gospel. For only through the gospel will true transformation be seen. There must first be a transformation in your own heart, in your own life, before you will ever see a transformation anywhere else. Community engagement in itself will not produce transformation. Yesterday, Christ Fellowship was at Shepherd's Heart. It was our church's turn to serve food at Shepherd's Heart. And I love going down there, and I love doing that. But listen, when we talk about community engagement, I'm not just talking about you going out and doing good works in the community. We should be engaged in our community in every way. But community engagement in itself, apart from the gospel, is not going to change or transform anyone or anything. An emotional reaction to an emotional plea or an emotional experience may produce temporary change, but it will never produce lasting transformation. I was in a service one time, and a gentleman made such an emotional plea for people, he would not stop until people were coming down front to the altar and giving their lives to Christ. Sounds like a really great thing. But what the gentleman was engaging in was actually emotional manipulation. Did you know that you can, there are people very good at this, there are people very good at emotionally manipulating other people and getting them to do things that they would not otherwise normally do. Jesus never commanded us to go out and emotionally manipulate people and guilt them into confessing him as Savior. Because you can confess Jesus as Savior all day long, but if there is no faith in your heart, if it is just coming from an emotional manipulation, if it's just coming from the emotion of the moment, it's not going to be a lasting transformation. This is why the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John write things like, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. That's not... That's not a warning as much as it is a statement of fact. If the gospel, if the power of the gospel has truly transformed your heart, you will endure to the end. That's not a warning. That's the promise. That's a promise from God. But if you've been emotionally manipulated into make a confession, into repeating these words after a pastor or a preacher... And then they say, well, you've done the deal, and now no one can take it away from you. Doesn't matter what happens, now you're saved. You might be giving that person a false sense of security, thinking that they did the one-time event that's going to make an eternal difference in their life. 
There is no one-time event we do that can make an eternal difference. There is something God does that makes an eternal difference in us. But there's not anything we do that makes an eternal difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't have the power to change hearts and minds. Only God does. Now, we may be gifted or have the ability to make people feel certain ways and think certain things and coerce them into saying and doing certain things, but that's vastly different than an eternal transformation that God brings to your life. And this is why we see today, and this is why it is so common for people in vulnerable positions, in vulnerable states, give place to their emotions and they make vows and they make commitments because they had an emotional need or a physical need or a real need. And in the, in the moment, they did it in and of themselves because they thought it's what they needed. But then days or weeks or months later, they're nowhere to be found. The gospel that saves you today will keep you for eternity. That is the power of the gospel. And when we preach and we teach the gospel, it is not the man preaching or teaching making you feel a certain way that saves you. When we preach and teach the gospel, it has nothing to do with the man preaching or teaching. It is the power of the gospel. It is the power of the message being preached that saves you and transforms you. The point is that our equipping and our engagement must be saturated with the gospel so that all we do will be centered and grounded in the gospel because only the gospel has the power to produce true and lasting transformation. Because transformation has to begin in the heart. Transformation doesn't begin in your mind. Transformation doesn't begin in your body. Transformation doesn't begin with your emotions. Transformation begins in your heart and only God can give you a new heart. And only the gospel has the power to change a heart. And that's why it is so very vital that churches and pastors preach and teach the gospel found in this word. Because if we're just teaching good life principles... You might be happy and successful all your life, but might find that when you die, you go straight to hell because your good life principles are not going to save you. Only the gospel will save you. The overflow of the gospel from your heart will lead to a transformation. So that gospel in your heart received in your heart, implanted in your heart, transforms you. And that gospel in your heart is to overflow and transform those around you. 
so that every area of your life is to be saturated with and oozing the gospel. The gospel must first bring transformation to your heart, and then it overflows to the things around you. And if you've been saved by the gospel, there must be a change in your heart and in your mind that will ultimately produce a transformation in your life. So Jesus commands us to preach the gospel. Let me read it to you again, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That word believe more accurately should be understood trust. It's not just believing. It's not just giving mental assent to God or to Jesus. I can give mental assent to Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm trusting in Jesus. We're called to trust in Jesus. Because there is no one else and there is nothing else that we can ultimately trust in for our life and for our salvation. Our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. Now here is the gospel. We're talking about the gospel equipping and engaging and transforming. Well, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. That He rose again, that, he, that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He says, this is the gospel I preach to you, the gospel you received, the gospel in which you stand, the gospel which also saved you if you hold fast to the end. What's he saying? That we got to work to hold on to our salvation? No, he's saying if you are saved by this gospel, you confess the gospel, you confess your standing in the gospel, you confess you've been saved by the gospel, who am I to say that you're not, but will know when it's all said and done, because if you remain standing, if you hold fast to this gospel to the end, then we will all know that you were truly saved by this gospel. But if you're just jumping on a bandwagon if you're just trying to get some physical, external 
material need met, if you're just trying to get some emotional need met, if you're just trying to, to, to get a temporary fix until you can get your life back under control, then you won't hold fast to this gospel. Because when your crisis is over, you'll just go right back to the way your life was before. But if this gospel has truly saved you and transformed you, if you have come to know your real need for a Savior, if you've come to know the reality of your sin, and you've come to realize that there is no solution, there is no payment, there is no way for me to deal with my sin in and of myself, I am hopeless apart from Christ. And if you have cried out to Jesus and in faith you are trusting Him, then you will hold fast to this gospel because this gospel has taken hold of you and it will not let you go. So here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Do you know you are a sinner in need of a savior? That's a question we should all ask ourselves. We need to feel our need for him. Not just at the point we get saved. Oh, I'm saved. Now I don't need him anymore. No. We need him. How, how, how much does your hand need your arm? When does your hand stop needing your arm? It doesn't. You need him like you need your life. You need him like you need your heart pumping, your blood flowing through your body. You need him like you need the oxygen you breathe. You don't just take a breath and say, well, I got my oxygen, now I'm good to go, don't need any more. No. Christ was buried. When he was crucified, his body of death was put away. Have you been crucified with Christ? Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Have you been crucified with Christ? Has your body of sin and death been buried and put away with Christ? That's what Paul writes to us in Romans 6. He wrote to the church at Rome and he said, Reckon yourself dead to sin but alive to God. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into his death. The body of sin's been put away. Stop digging up the dead man. Leave him buried and leave him put away. Reckon him dead and reckon yourself alive to God. Christ rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. If you have been crucified with Him, then you have been buried with Him. And that means you have been raised with Him in His life. In Christ, you are now a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You now reckon yourself alive to God, no longer a slave to sin, no longer alive to sin, but now a slave to God and a slave to His righteousness. You and I could not do that on our own. It required that Christ be crucified, that Christ be buried, that Christ be raised, so that I, too, could be crucified and buried and raised in his life. Now I have put away the old man. Now I am a new creation. Now I no longer have to present my members as slaves to sin because I have been delivered from sin and death. Now I have the power, the ability, the capacity to present my members as slaves to God and as slaves to righteousness. This is the gospel. In preaching the gospel, your work is simply to deliver the message. We have no power to change a heart, and it's not our place to change a mind. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds through the message that we deliver. It is a work of grace and a demonstration of the Spirit and of God's power that only God can perform that is made manifest through the faith of the hearer. This is exactly what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That's not the guest speaker you want to have come into your church to draw a crowd. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If we're not careful, we'll misinterpret what Paul is saying there. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll tend to think that what Paul did was come into the church and start doing magic tricks and performing all kinds of miracles and wowing the crowd and making them so impressed with his ability to demonstrate the power of God through miraculous acts that all the people came to Christ. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come 
with excellence of speech. I didn't come with the words of the wisdom of men. I didn't come as a salesman trying to pitch something to you. I came as a messenger. And I was in weakness and fear and in trembling in the proof of the pudding, the proof that my message was real, the proof that the gospel that I preached literally took hold in your life is your faith. In other words, your faith is the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. It's not a David Copperfield or a What's that guy's name? He's always doing the magic tricks. Who's the new one? Houdini. No, he's an old one, but he's a good one. David Blaine. There are people out there who think the Apostle Paul was like David Blaine or Houdini or, or some illusionist doing these tricks, wowing the crowd, and they all rushed to faith in Jesus. No. He said, the proof that my gospel was real and powerful was your faith. It was the demonstration of the spirit and power that manifest in your faith. We know the gospel has taken hold when we see the power of a changed life in those who hear the gospel. If I can talk you into believing in the, in, 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 in the gospel, if I can talk you into believing into Christ or talk you into believing in Christ, I can talk you or somebody else can talk you out of believing in Christ. If someone can talk you into faith, then someone's going to be able to talk you out of faith. But if it is the demonstration of the Spirit and power of God that reached into you and miraculously and powerfully changed your heart, gave you a new heart, opened your blind eyes, opened your deaf ears, raised you from death to life. Only God can do that. And if God has done that, then your life is going to manifest the reality of that power that's working in you. It's not something someone can talk you into. It's not something someone can sell you. It's not something someone can emotionally manipulate you to, to join and become a part of. It is either the power of God or it is nothing. And if it is the power of God, here is the promise. You will hold fast to this gospel to the very end because this gospel has taken hold of you. It has changed you. It has transformed you. This is what Paul is saying. Do you feel the need for the gospel in your life? to change you and to transform you? you say, well, Pastor Jeff, I've, I've got saved a long time ago. Now, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my question. My question was not, when did you get saved or did you get saved? I said, do you feel the need for the gospel in your life to change you and transform you? You may or may not be saved, and you feel the need for the gospel to change you and transform you. You may have been saved many years, but you still need, and I still need to feel the need for the gospel to change me and transform me because we all need to be changed and transformed. We're just at different places in the journey. 
you maybe have not started your walk of faith in Christ yet. You need to be changed and transformed. You need to do what Jesus said. Jesus said in, in Mark's gospel, he said, the time is now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But if you've been walking with the Lord for many years, you still need to be changed and transformed because you are still coming to the unity of the faith. We're not there yet, church. The church, the body of Christ is still growing up. We look at these little children, they've been born. Is that the end? No, they're growing up. When do they stop growing up? Age 3, age 4, age 14, age 24. Oh, when you're 21, now you're grown up, right? As long as there is life, as long as they are living, they are growing, they are changing, they are transforming. That is the way it is spiritually. There is never a time you do not need to experience the change and the transformation that only the gospel can bring you. The preaching of the gospel is not just for lost sinners. The preaching of the gospel is for the saints, for the equipping of the saints, for you to go out and do the work of service so that you can engage those around you and the overflow of the gospel will produce transformation because the gospel is not just to be preached by preachers behind a pulpit. The gospel is to be lived and preached through your words and through your life and through your actions and through your lifestyle. And that gospel preached through you has the power to change and transform people everywhere. Don't just think that only happens behind a pulpit. It doesn't just happen behind a pulpit. But it better be preached and it better be taught and it better be proclaimed from behind our pulpits. Otherwise, there will not be a proper equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and there will not be a transformation taking place. Unless you are first persuaded by the gospel yourself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be his disciple and you will not obey his command to preach the gospel and to make disciples. If you feel the need, if you have been persuaded by the power and the grace of God, then embrace Christ and embrace his gospel, live the gospel, preach the gospel, and love those who are touched by the power of the gospel. Jesus commands all men to believe the gospel. You are called to respond to that gospel. That gospel that commands men to believe unto salvation. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Come to Jesus and be changed. Please stand. Here's my charge to you. If you have been saved by the gospel, you are charged to walk according to the gospel. By the grace of God and by the power of the gospel, you have become a new creation in Christ. You are now to walk according to the transforming power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit.
as you are being equipped for the work of ministry, I charge you to trust God to continue his work of transformation. And as you are being transformed, seek God to bring transformation to those around you as the gospel of God's grace and love is made manifest through your life. God charges us to be equipped and engaged through the gospel. Our calling is to be transformed and to effect transformation as we are salt and light in this world. The work of the gospel is the work of transformation. We are called to make disciples, not converts. The work of conversion is momentary, but the work of transformation is lifelong. Jesus declared, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus Christ charges us to be salt and light in this world. This is the work of transformation. Embrace the gospel. Be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be equipped for the work of serving his glory. Be engaged work of affecting transformation in the world around you. Fulfill your calling and fulfill your charge in Christ. This is what we were created for. It is our obligation. But more than that, I want you to understand it is our privilege and it is our honor in Jesus Christ. Amen.